Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Please welcome Nicole. Thank you. Um, hang on. Okay. Okay, there we go. Uh, okay, let me know. Is that good? Can you hear me? Okay, great. Um, hi, thank you guys for coming. I'm so happy to see you all here, and it's such a lovely setting beneath the, the skylight tree. Um, so I just uh, want to talk a little bit about how, how the forgetting came to be, and um, then I'll read a little bit from it, and then I'll thank some people and then do a Q&A. Um, so, uh, the forgetting was born in early 2012, and, um, I was in a really, really bad place at that point in time. Um, I had just had my three-book contract with HarperCollins canceled, and, um, that event really shook me to my core as a writer, and it really devastated me, and, um... I really doubted myself, and I really doubted whether I was ever going to write again, or if I was ever going to write anything good again, and um, it was, yeah, it was not a good time. So my agent put the canceled book back out on submission, and then she very gently, but with like a little bit of a kick in the ass, said to me, um, you should write something new completely unrelated to that series. And I did actually have a couple of ideas rattling around in my head, and one of them was this idea about a girl who has a heart transplant and starts to remember the life of her donor. Um, so I pitched a few ideas to my agent, including that one, and that was the idea that she liked the most. And she said, yeah, that's, that's great. Run with that. Go with that. And I said, okay. And um, I did nothing with it because I was terrified to write again. And, you know, I... Um, I'd had my heart broken by the publishing industry, and I was really scared to, ri to risk that kind of heartbreak again. So I sat around and I did nothing um, except drink a lot. And, um, <laughs> um, and one night I was crying on my couch and drinking wine. Well, it was probably scotch. But um, I, it was very strange, almost as if... It was involuntary. I got up off the couch. I walked into my office, and I picked up my copy of The Artist's Way off my bookshelf. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know what The Artist's Way is, and it's so funny because it's actually it's right over there in the self-help section. Um, the Artist's Way is a 12-step recovery program for damaged creative people. And it is. Um, and it functions like a 12-step recovery program for addicts because it was created by Julia Cameron, who herself is an alcoholic. Um, and it's really quite an amazing 12-week journey that you go on when you do The Artist's Way. Um, so I had done The Artist's Way once before in 2006, the first time I had had my heart broken by the publishing industry, um, when my very first novel uh, was out on submission for several months and didn't sell, and then we pulled it off submission, and um, it, you know it's still unpublished. And 
right after that happened, I did the artist's way. And it really worked for me back then, and it really healed me. So I... In 2012, I pulled the book off my shelf with this like desperate hope that it would work again and just thinking, please, please, please help me. Um, so I started to work through The Artist's Way. And it, it, The Artist's Way is very demanding. It asks a lot of you. It asks that you, you know, reach very deep down inside and draw up things like past humiliations and past failures and, you know, like things that your parents said to you in childhood that you were, you know, have discussed ad nauseum with the therapist and all that stuff. So, you know, as you work through it, though, um, possibilities start to open up as you go deeper and deeper into the program. And um, that had happened the first time that I did it. And that really started to happen again this time. Um, you know, as you kind of start to work through everything and and deal with everything that's happened, um, the world sort of starts to open up around you and, and doors are suddenly opened that you didn't even know were there. And one of the things that opened up when I was doing, doing The Artist's Way um, was someone, or I don't even know how it came across my inbox, but someone sent me an invite to an online class given by Laura Baker called Fearless Writer. And I thought, God, that just sounds perfect. I really need to become fearless again. So I signed up for the class, and um, Laura teaches a lot of classes. She teaches a fearless writer class and she also teaches this other class called Discovering Story Magic that's like a plotting class. And she's just phenomenal. Um, and one of the things that we did, one of the first things that we did in the fearless writer class was she had us all come up with our own personal storytelling paragraph, um, which is basically just a paragraph about why you tell the kind of stories that you tell and what it is in, in your personality or your background that drives you to tell the particular kinds of stories that you want to tell. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit of my storytelling paragraph, if you'll indulge me. This was actually my, my Artist's Way notebook that I did all the exercises in, so there's actually a lot of stuff in here that you could blackmail me with. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a little chunk of it. The themes that I find myself exploring over and over are abandonment and connection, escape from one's ordinary life and freedom, and the need to belong. The desire to connect supersedes all else when I read and when I write. By putting complex female characters on a journey to discover their inner power, their true identity, and the place where they truly belong, I connect to my readers and to myself. So that was part of my storytelling paragraph. So working from that, I started to think again about this idea about a girl who has a heart transplant and starts to remember the life of her donor. And I started to plot the book out um, in Laura's first class, and then I had signed up for another class with her immediately after the Fearless Writer class, and, and I kept working on this idea. And in Laura's class, I, I, I really worked very deeply on the characters and the plot for the book. Um, and about three weeks or so into working on it, I started to get really, really excited about it. And I started to realize, oh my God, I am going to write something again. And I'm going to write something good. And to hell with those people who canceled my contract. Like, this is going to be an awesome book. And right around that time, um, 
my agent called me and, and told me that we had resold the canceled book. So I knew that that, that timing was not coincidental, that, you know, once again, a door had opened because I had allowed it to open because I had moved on, actually, from the pain and the heartbreak of that book cancellation. So when we resold um, my first book, which is Winter Falls, um, that was about June 2012. And the first slot on the publication schedule for my publisher was December 2014. So it was, you know, a huge chunk of time, two and a half years. And at first I was like, oh man. But then I realized that that was such a gift because all of a sudden I had this amazing stretch of time to work on a book, to work on the forgetting without any distractions from this other book that was now under contract. So in the summer and the fall of 2012, um, I wrote The Forgetting in a state of complete joy because it had done what I wanted it to do. It had made me fall back in love with writing. And I was so happy every day to just get up and, and write, which is kind of ironic because the book is sort of dark and like, it goes into some kind of disturbing places. But every day I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is so great. Um, so I like to say that it's fitting that the book is about a heart transplant because it healed my own heart. So, yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read a little bit from the very, very beginning, so no setup needed. Um, there's a very short prologue, which I will read, and then I'm going to read just the first part of chapter one. Okay. Prologue. The last thing I remember is a push. Two strong hands fighting for their own life, pushing me out of mine. The world went white all around me, and then I was gone, forced out of the darkness that had always surrounded me and into the light. But part of me got left behind. Chapter 1. The first thing I remember was a great big push. Air rushed up from my lungs and out of my mouth. My spine tingled from the imaginary touch where the two invisible hands had been, pushing me back into consciousness. Whose were they? I pulled at my memory. Somewhere nearby, a machine beeped. My eyes would not open. It was like they were nailed shut. The thing nearby beeped again, echoing the drum of my heartbeat. Deep inside, I felt a shift, a change within the fabric of my inner being. What had changed? What had gone wrong? My fingers grappled at something, anything to hold on to. My oboe, where was my oboe? It was never more than an arm's length away from me. The thing beeped again. In its wake, other sounds grew clearer. Voices, footsteps. My fingers found nothing but air. I balled my hands into fists. Another beep, loud and insistent, right next to my ear, and my eyes flew open. Spots prickled painfully at my vision. Everything around me was white. The gauze taped across my chest, the hospital gown I was dressed in, the sheets and pillows, even the wires running from my body to the machines next to my bed were white. Nearby, a voice said, she's awake. Baby, baby, can you hear me? My mother's face bloomed in front of my own, her mouth and nose covered by a white paper mask. I tried to answer and couldn't. With a little squirm of panic, I realized there was a tube running out of my mouth to a ventilator just behind me. I put my hand on the tube, but my mother gently took my hand in hers. It's okay, baby. They're going to take that out soon. Her voice was thick behind the mask. Her vitals are good, said the other voice. I'll let Dr. Harrison know she's awake. Footsteps echoed away. 
Dr. Harrison. The name was a familiar piece among all the strange bits flying around my brain. I clicked it into place in my memory. The holidays. No, the holidays were over. I'd gone back to school after winter break, but then Mom kept me home because I had a fever. It didn't go away. I burrowed my brow, wading through the memories was like cross-country skiing through deep, powdery snow. I'd gone to the doctor I'd seen since I was a baby. He'd admitted me to the hospital for pneumonia. Was that right? I looked at my mother for confirmation, as though she could understand what I was thinking. She nodded. What do you remember, baby? It felt like a fever dream. Tests, the prick of an IV going into my arm, not being able to breathe, the tube down my throat, the machine next to my bed beeping erratically, alarms going off, footsteps running, getting hooked up to even more machines. Something had gone wrong. A calm, kind voice explaining to my parents, not me, that my heart was failing and I needed a new one. And luckily, there's a match right down the hall. My hands scrabbled at the air again and came up empty. Mom grasped my shoulders, murmuring something that was supposed to be soothing. I shook my head. The motion made my whole body ache. I let Mom ease me backwards and raised my hand to my chest, splaying my palm flat over the gauze. That was the change. The rhythm, my rhythm, was different. My heart was gone. Someone else's heart had taken its place. Um, so I just want to say a quick thank you to my husband right there for being wonderful and supportive and amazing. Um, and to Senator, wait, she's in the back for making these amazing truffles that are on the table. Um, and my critique group, who is unfortunately in absentia and stuck in traffic. So um, in absentia, I will thank them. Um, and yeah, and thank you all so much for coming. And if anyone has any questions, should we do questions? Questions? Questions, anyone? Yes? Well, I've always kind of been fascinated with this idea of cellular memory, which is, you know, the theory that that our thoughts and, and memories and feelings are actually imprinted in our, in our flesh and blood and not just in our brain. Um, and that, you know, that idea, because, you know, there's all these sort of like informal reports about people having some kind of organ transplant and where, you know, they used to have a sweet tooth and suddenly they just craved salty and, you know, um, and that kind of thing. So I, that idea has always stuck with me for some reason. And I've always sort of been like, ooh, I'd love to write an idea, like a book about that. That would be so cool. And I know that there have been a couple of movies about it too. Um, so when I, so that was really like the germ of the idea was like, oh, what if I write about a girl who has a heart transplant? And at first I thought like I had some kind of crazy, you know, ideas for it at first. At first I thought, what if she wakes up and she doesn't remember her own life at all? She only remembers the donor and she's like, who are all these people around me? You know, and she doesn't even know her own family. Um, but then I thought that the logistics of that were not, they were not going to work. So, um, and one of the ideas I had was that she and her mother had been in a car accident and that she actually got her mother's heart. And that was, but that, that was also, that would have been a really different book. So, really different. Um, so, so once I kind of, um, thought, okay, you know, it's a murder mystery, then, then the pieces of it sort of fell into place from there. Um, yeah. So. Anyone else? Oh. oh, God. Okay. So, you know, I think, 
Um, I, I really like that actress who was on, um, I can't even remember her name. She was on um, uh, American Horror Story Coven. She played the, the, the girl. The, is that her? She, yeah, yeah. She like who was Zoe? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, her. Formiga. Yeah, yeah. She's like in the Formiga family, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, her. I like her. So. <laughs> Anyone else? Um. Usually that is the case. You don't get any kind of say. But I did actually get a little bit of, like, they, they actually asked me, which a lot of times they don't even ask you. But they did ask me. They said, do you have any ideas about it? And I, and I, um, I had some, I had some ideas. Like, I thought, you know, something with, like, the, the you know, the heart, the, the little blip, which they did incorporate, actually. It's the, um, the, what they call dingbats, which is, that is actually a word. The dingbats are, the, are like the section breaks. So in the book, it, there is, the section breaks, the dingbat is a little, you know, heart monitor thing. So, um, so the, original, the original title of the book was, was Heartlines. And um, very late in the game, it was changed to the forgetting um, for various marketing reasons. But I actually really liked the title. But... Um, so the original cover had, you know, the, the original title on it. But they sent me a cover, like, really early on, like, before I even got my editorial letter, actually. Mo- like, months before I ever got my editorial letter. They sent me a comp cover. And it was the first cover of mine that I saw, because it was actually before I even saw a cover for my other book that came out, Winter Falls. And the... I was sitting in a cafe and I just got this email saying like, here's a comp cover. Here's kind of what we're thinking. And it was virtually the same, except on Heartlines, the Heartlines cover, it was heart and then the, the anatomical heart was here and then lines was underneath it. But like the, the, the layout of it was, was pretty much the same. So, um, and you know, like seeing a cover with my name on it, getting that email, I started crying in the middle of the cafe. I was like, "Oh my god, this is my book!" Um, but um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't like outright say this, but I kind of didn't want them to put like a heart on it, you know, a heart, heart, like a that kind of heart. So, but I didn't tell them that. But I think they just understood that telepathically because when they sent it to me and I saw the anatomical heart I was like you've got to be kidding me that is so amazing and then when they changed the title and they said okay we have to redesign the cover I said please 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 do not take away that anatomical heart because it's it's my favorite thing pretty much ever and they they didn't I mean it's it's almost the same so yeah but I have no idea. I would assume that this is a stock photo from um, their, like, you know, stockpile of, of photos. I don't think there was, like, a, I don't think there was a modeling session done, like a photo session done. Wait, I know, because I know people who have gotten to go to photo sessions for their covers with their models, and I'm like, that sounds so glamorous. Like, <laughs> come on, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if it becomes a bestseller on my next one, I can be like, I want a photo session. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Questions? You said that you go to some very dark places. Yeah. Like what? Well, so 
the subplot of the book is a is a is a sex trafficking subplot. So yeah, it's pretty dark. So basically what happens in the book is is the main character Georgie, um, you know, she has this heart transplant. She starts to remember the life of the her donor. And that would, you know, maybe be acceptable on its own, but for every memory she gains of her donors, she loses one of her own. So she's starting to lose these pieces of herself and she's like, this is no, I need to find out what happened to this girl in order to stop this. So she starts to research what happened to her and 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 the journey takes her into a really, you know, into like an underbelly of society that she never knew existed. And the thing about Georgie is that she's, she, the, the book takes place in Boston and she's from a very, very upper middle class um, uh, family. Her father is a dean at Harvard. You know, she goes to a very fancy private prep school and she, she lives in a bubble of privilege, basically. And so I knew that what I wanted for her journey was to go on this, you know, to go on this journey into this like to basically have her her eyes open to a world she she never knew about so um I knew in order to achieve that that her heart donor had to be her complete opposite so I thought well what's the opposite of the girl who has everything it's the girl who has nothing who has who lives on the street who has to fight to survive and you know who has to literally sell herself to survive and so I I knew that I was going to make her a teen prostitute so um Every day while I was working on the book, I was driving my daughter to daycare, and I passed a billboard that it was put up by the LA Metro, and it it was a bunch of um, shadowy adults, and in the center was a child, and the caption read, sexually trafficked children are hiding in plain sight. And driving past that every day with my own child in the backseat of the car really made that hit home. And so as I started to research the heart donor's character, I realized that there are no such thing as a there's no such thing as a teen prostitute. Every underage child working in the sex trade is being trafficked. They're not there by choice. There's really no such thing as teen prostitution. And really a lot of, you know, of age men and women are being trafficked too. They're also not there by choice. So I realized that that world that Georgie went into, like it couldn't be teen prostitution. It had to be sex trafficking. So that was kind of how that, that came into it. It was sort of a, it was sort of an amazing confluence of things that made that subplot happen. And, um, you know, I'm very happy that it did because I think it's a really powerful part of the book. So Um, your last book was uh, fantasy, like romance fantasy. Um, this one, obviously, much darker, a little bit of a thriller, a little bit of a mystery. I haven't read it yet. I'm very excited about it. Um, what do you think, then, is going to kind of be next on your plate, being that you really have two completely different genres, even though it's under a young adult, it's very different. Yeah, they are really different, and I hope that, um, you know, I hope that readers of, of my trilogy um, aren't turned off by it. And and I also, you know, I try to kind of put a disclaimer because the trilogy is really meant for 12, 12 and up, and, and this is definitely older. So I hope that, I don't know, that there aren't 12-year-olds reading the book. <laughs> okay, but um, so... I feel a little bit like um, 
I wrote this as a thriller by accident. Like I didn't, I didn't set out to, to you know, I didn't set out to write a thriller. But when I started to plot the book, I realized, oh, this is a thriller. And so very early on, I, I wrote, you know, I realized that was the path it was going down, and that's how I wrote it. Um, so when I, when we sold it to Sourcebooks, they contracted me for two books, and they said, well, the second one has to be a thriller because it has to be similar to to this book. So I'm currently developing that and and that will be my next book after the Twin Willows trilogy. It will be another thriller. I'm I think it will be like a spy thriller and kind of what I have on the table now is a spy thriller that deals with some sort of like creepy political stuff. But um that pitch hasn't been completely approved yet. So <laughs> So uh, that's up to my editor, but it, it will be another thriller. And then beyond that, I don't really know because <laughs> like, I feel like I'm kind of all over the place. I really like doing the paranormal thing. I just, you know, I, I that's what I like to read. So that's what I like to write. Um, I also, you know, I started out as a writer writing historical fiction and I would love to someday return to historical fiction, although... I don't know if I could deal with all the research now because I'm used to not researching. <laughs> but um, but I would love to write historicals again. So, yeah. oh well, um, I really like. So my first novel, the one that got rejected by every publishing house in New York, um, was set in early 19th century America. It was set on the Lewis and Clark expedition. Um, and I love that. I love that, that period in time. Um, but my, my second book that I wrote, I didn't finish it, but that was also a historical, and that was set in 1830s Nantucket. And um, that was also a really fascinating time period to re- write about, too. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I I love like I just love so many parts of history, but probably pre twentieth century, you know, or very early twentieth century. So I don't definitely before World War Two. So yeah. 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 So I guess, I guess that's definitely part of the themes that I like to explore. Um, you know, I like to write about characters who get caught up in something that's bigger than themselves. And a lot of times that translates into a story that is about good versus evil. And really like, you know, at the end of the day, almost every story is about good versus evil. I mean, it's it's just the universal, it's our universal, you know, story for the rest of our lives, pretty much. So, yeah. Anyone else? Yes. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.